We doing? Good. Oh my gosh. How we doing? Good. Better now after that singing. Thank you, music team. Thanks, Trev. Um, let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. If you are new to the Bible, it is the last book in the Bible. As you're turning there, one thing to note, um, we're starting Sunday school next week. We're doing church history again, getting into the modern age. If you attended class last year when we did uh, ancient church, medieval, and reformation, if you have your binder somewhere in a closet, if you could find it and bring it, uh, that would be great. And we can just give you more handouts for each week and a new cover page if you want to put that in. We're confident that the uh, individuals working in the binder industry are wonderful people, and uh, we hope they turn a profit, but we don't want to single-handedly keep them in business. So if you could bring your binders, that'd be great. If you weren't in class, we have some new ones for you. So Let's read uh, Revelation 19, 1 through 10. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the, of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Focus our minds now, O God, we pray, on the wedding feast, the great day, the last day, when all will be made right. Forgive us, Lord, for our apathy toward it. Forgive us for our lack of faith, our lack of hope, our lack of confidence that you are making and will make all things new. Inspire us, Lord. Inspire us today, Holy Spirit, to love Jesus more deeply and to follow him more completely. We ask for all of this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is worthy of all glory and all praise. Amen. You will remember that one of the purposes of Revelation is to show you reality from a heavenly perspective, which is helpful because our perspective is often off. We get things wrong. You have a fallen mind. It is a fallen world. Demonic deception is real. We don't perceive rightly often what is true, what is real. Our vision is blurry, our interpretations flawed. So very kindly, the Bible, Revelation comes along and says, here is the divinely approved interpretation of reality. This is it. You can trust this book. This is what's really going on. This is how the story ends. You can trust this book. In these last few chapters, you have a grand reversal that takes place. From an earthly perspective right now, it often seems like the church is losing, doesn't it? And the world is winning, that we are weak and the world is strong, that we are the minority, which we are, and the world is the majority. It doesn't feel like a fair fight. It doesn't feel like we're winning or we're going to win. But John receives this vision. From the Father, through the Lord Jesus, mediated by angels to John, and then sent to the church. And a great reversal is happening. Think of the battle between the church against the world, the devil, your flesh, like a baseball game. Partial that way. For eight innings of the game, the home team is dominating. They are running up the score. They are talking trash. They are taunting, and the other team is just taking it. Visiting team doesn't say anything. They just take it. And you get to the end of the eighth inning, and if you went on your phone and you looked at the win probability, which is a thing now, okay, um, it's 99%. Like, it's over. No one's placing bets on DraftKings that there's going to be a miraculous comeback. Uh, of this game. It's over. Fans are leaving. Let's beat the traffic. Most of you would leave a baseball game early anyway, but particularly this game, it's over. And then the ninth inning comes. And visiting team bats around. You can't get them out. 
they take the lead. You go to the bottom of the ninth, you bring in your closer. One, two, three, strikes out the side, it's over. Shock, horror, disbelief, that eerie silence. Have you ever heard that in a stadium? Just that eerie silence where they, I can't, from a human perspective, how did this happen? That was impossible, but it just happened. The end of the world will be like that. Where the church is taunted, mocked, and ignored, dismissed, and then the great reversal. Jesus Christ returns, and that's it. Our champion shows up. Our closer shows up. And when Jesus decides it's over, it's over. There is nothing the world can do. There is nothing the strength of all the kings and all the might of, of, of the beast and the false prophet and the dragon. There's nothing they can do. When Jesus decides that's it, that's it. I want to be with my bride. He will be with his bride. And that's what we're seeing happen. So you better be on the right side when it does. You better start thinking about eternity. If you haven't thought about eternity or you don't think about it, you need to. Because we're in the eighth inning. It's coming. It's coming. The clock is ticking. There is a day appointed that Jesus will return, and that's it. You better be on the right side. Brothers and sisters, do you think about that day, the last day? Do you think about sitting at a table where Jesus is at the head, and all of your family is there, and the angels are with you, Maybe they're serving you, ministering to you. Can, can you imagine it? This is not the afterlife. This is the beginning of real life. We shouldn't say that. Oh, the afterlife. No, no. We're going to wake up on that day. That's real life. The only thing that will be waiting for you every morning when you wake up after this day is new and greater delights in the Lord. White shores, green pastures, perfection and glory again and again and again. And the only thing that can happen is it gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Do you think about that day? We do well to listen to A.W. Tozer. The church is constantly being tempted to accept this world as her home. But if she is wise, she will consider that she stands in the valley between the mountain peaks of eternity past and eternity to come. The past is gone forever and the present is passing as swift as a shadow. 
Even if the earth should continue a million years, not one of us could stay to enjoy it. We do well to think of the long tomorrow. That's my mission today and in these next couple months to get you thinking about the long tomorrow more than you do now. So we're going to think about it today. Two main things, the Hallelujah Chorus and the Wedding Feast. Hallelujah Chorus and the Wedding Feast. Verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud, loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. Now, this, interestingly, this is the only place in the New Testament you find the word Hallelujah. Revelation 19, that's it. It literally means praise Yahweh. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged. Remember the saints crying out, how long, O Lord, until you avenge us. Has avenged on her the blood of his servants. The feel here is similar to chapter 4 and 5, but this time the movement of praise is moving inward, not outward. Chapter 4, 5, it moves from the throne outward. Here it's moving from the millions and millions of saints around the throne. They start it, and then it's moving in toward the throne. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever, and the 24 elders Four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. We're moving inward to the elders, the living creatures, standing nearer to God's throne. And then from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. So now we're at the throne. and It seems as though Jesus himself is calling on all his servants, including us, to praise God. So when we do this, what we're doing now, from call to worship to benediction, we are just joining in with the rest of the family. It's already happening. And for an hour, every week, in a special, unique way, God's people are gathered and we are joining in. We are heeding this call from the throne of God, Jesus Christ, saying, praise God. Okay, we will. It's not just a sermon that's worship. It's not just a singing that's worship. It's all of it. What are they so worked up about? Why all the hallelujahs? Well, as Matt taught us well last week, we will be clapping at the judgment of all that is evil. All that is within you that is evil will be destroyed. All that is outside of you that is evil, that has hurt you or those you love, will be destroyed. And you say, well, there's going to be people I love there being judged. Good people. People who were kind to me. How could I ever be happy about that? How could I ever be happy that someone's going to be tormented forever and ever? For their sins, how is that possible? We will see then as God sees now that spiritually those separated from Jesus 
are not morally good. They are not. They are dead in their sins and trespasses. And so were you before God made you alive in Christ. No good thing dwelled in you. There are no good people in hell. And there are only bad people in heaven. What you will marvel at is the grace of God toward you. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I not there? That's where I deserve to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I will sing your praise forever and ever. Because that's where I should be. You will marvel at the patience that God has shown. Unbelievable patience toward those He created. And every one of us just gives Him the finger. Not interested. Doing our own thing. How patient is God to stand for that? To let us live for a moment. You'll marvel at how much evidence there was that there is a God and He is powerful that people ignored, suppressed. You'll marvel at how much time was given to them. You'll marvel how much mercy was shown and they still rejected Him. And I'll say this, those people you love and want to be with in heaven, which is really good, a really good desire, they will not be those same people in hell. You won't recognize them. If they choose hell over heaven, and, and everybody chooses hell, who's there? They're not forced. They choose it. What you loved about them in this life was from God. It was the common grace of God. What you enjoyed about them was from God. What love they showed you was the image of God being allowed to come through in their life and their flesh being restrained, their sinful nature and inclinations being restrained. In hell, there will be no more restraint. Who they are on the inside will match the outside. And they will be something so dark that if you were to see it now, it will give you nightmares. I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to encourage you. That on that day you will be so transformed that you will love only what God loves. You will hate what God hates perfectly, purely. And whatever pleases and glorifies God is what you will love and you will treasure. And those who are continuing in their rebellion, even in hell, do not please and glorify God so you will have no conflict in your heart you will be able to sing this song. There is no conflict in these saints. Like there's conflict now, and there should be conflict now. That we love people. We want them to be with Jesus. We don't want this for them. I don't want that for you. But on that day, there will be no more of that. There will only be rejoicing in the judgment and the justice of God and the grace and mercy of God. 
It's hard to imagine. But it's going to happen. This is going to happen. And you will be there. There won't be conflict. Well, I see this kind, nice person in hell that grieves me. No, there's no more grief. There's no more mourning. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. You will be free. You will be transformed. As much like God himself as is possible for a human being. I think that's an encouraging thought. I think that's hopeful. And who is there? All who fear him, small and great. Any of you feel like a small Christian? I, let's see a show of hands. Who feels like a small Christian and not a great Christian? Small Christian? Yeah. There's a place for you. Listen to me with your heart. If you feel like a small Christian, there is a place for you. There is a place for you in God's kingdom. But I struggle. I just struggle. I just, I'm always struggling. And I feel like a failure most days. And I don't have a lot of gifts. I mean, what do I really bring to the table? Do you love Jesus? Yeah. Do you fear God? Yeah. Is he your only savior? Yeah. There's a place for you. Not just the great. With the gift of faith, what we want to follow and wow, how do they do it? It's amazing. So godly. The small. The small in stature. I believe with all my heart there will be saints in heaven who were physically and mentally handicapped in this life. Despite appearances, despite what you could see, the gospel got through. And I believe more gets through than we realize. The love of Jesus touched their heart. People who, from an earthly perspective, from the perspective of Babylon, they brought nothing to the table. We don't need these people. They're slowing us down. They're dragging us down. And if you, you hold a pure Darwinian worldview... These are the people that don't matter. Well, you're handicapped? Get out of the way. You're elderly? Get out of the way. You have an incurable disease? Get out of the way. You have a birth defect? Get out of the way. You're impeding human progress. These are not the people we need to have compassion on that matter. The strong matter. Not to God. These are the people God loves and saves and will make new. He will heal them. And they will run. People who have never walked a step in their life will run. People who have never spoken a word in their life will speak. And talk. And sing. People who have never had logical reasoning given to them in this life, will be sharper than attack. He's making all things new. The small and the great. These are the people God loves and saves and heals. I think as I watch us as a church, you believe that. I see your action 
and movement toward those who are small in stature, those who are lesser, those who are on the outskirts, the margins, keep believing. Keep doing that. Keep believing. These, these are the people nearest to God's heart. Not mainly the strong. They'll be fine. God's got them. The weak. The vulnerable. Number two, the wedding feast. Verse six. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So the prostitute, Babylon, dragon, beast will attend their own funeral and we will attend our own wedding. That's what's going to happen. The great battle leads to a great banquet. The war is over and the wedding begins. Two things I want to draw out about the wedding feast. Number one, you will eat and drink in glory. You will eat, I mean that literally, you will eat and drink in glory. This is a theme throughout the Bible, that the blessing of God's people eating with Him, dining with Him, at the table, feasting, communion, intimacy, fellowship, Passover feast in Exodus, New Covenant feast, the Lord's Supper, these are good, but they are penultimate. They are good, but they are penultimate. This is what it's all pointing to, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in this and other texts, I think the Bible clearly teaches physical food. We will eat in our resurrected life. You can breathe a sigh of relief. Yes, there will be food. Will there be food? Yes, there will. Some of you wouldn't want to come if there wasn't. I'm not interested. We can't get any college kids saved without offering them food, you know. There's a college event today. Will there be food? Of course there will. Of course there's food. There's always food. We've got to have it. And I know that all this food talk is going to make you hungry, so we've prepared for that. Deacons, if you can hand out the caramel rolls, that's fine. We're ready for them now. Try to focus. Stay with me. Biblical text. Where do we find this? Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts, this is end time language, will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. That sounds good. Luke twenty two twenty nine. 29. I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And, 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 here's the kicker. Jesus himself, in a glorified body, a resurrected body, had breakfast. We know that. John 21, let's have breakfast. And he eats meat. Hmm, interesting, interesting theological thought. Won't go there. Uh, he, he has fish. How did that work? I don't know. 
Did he digest it? I assume. I don't know how that works, how that's going to work for us, but I think we're going to eat. Yes, it is glory. A physical reality, glorified food, glorified drink with glorified taste buds. I looked it up. There is a 1945 bottle of French wine that recently sold for $500,000. One bottle. $500,000. What would a $500,000 bottle of wine taste like? And that's the wrong question. What will this wine taste like? Because it's better. It's been aging since 33 A.D. Jesus said, I will not drink it until we're all together, and that's going to be what's broken out at that table. Oh, it's going to be sweet. Remember, food is not just functional. Remy from Ratatouille got that. Okay? It's not just shove it down, you know, just food is fuel. This is an extra. This is a gift. This is a generosity that God gave us. You know what? He could have given us little white pods that taste like nothing to keep us alive. He didn't. He gave us pizza. Glory, hallelujah. It's unbelievable. The mind of God. Every extra that the mind of God can think of, and that's saying something, you will have. Not the bare minimum, not just water, every good thing, every extra. John Calvin says it this way, God created food not only to provide for our necessities, but also for our pleasure and recreation. It was His will to rejoice our sight by its beauty. You've seen a meal prepared well. It's just beautiful and to give us yet another pleasure in its smells. Smells good. God didn't have to do that. He wanted to. It's not just your needs. It's everything you could want or were made to want in a good and healthy sense, in a righteous sense. So will you be hungry on the new earth? Yeah. But then your need, your hunger will be immediately and completely met. Will you be thirsty? I think so. But you will have just what you want, just what you need, fully satisfied all the time. I know, and we're going to get to it. Or I'm sorry, we've gotten to it. No longer will they hunger, no longer will they thirst in the book of Revelation. What I think that means is, first of all, spiritually, you're going to be rivers of living water. You're going you're to be completely satisfied in Jesus Christ. Physically, I think it means you just won't have any lack. You know, that's the problem when we think about hunger. Like, hunger itself is not necessarily bad, but it's, I'm hungry and I don't have any food. Which apparently my kids go through every night at about 9 o'clock. You ate a horse for dinner and you're hungry an hour later. Or you're thirsty and you you don't have water. But how nice is it when you're thirsty and you take a drink of whatever you're drinking and it quenches your thirst? Oh, that feels good. I think that's what it's going to be like. Lack nothing. Need for nothing. 
All spiritual hunger and thirst will be satisfied in Jesus. All physical hunger and thirst will be satisfied by Jesus. Here's something to remember. You need to remember this as we see these visions of the new earth because we've been badly taught in evangelical Christianity that, that, that it's just ghosts and it's, you know, uh, we're just turned into nothing, invisible, it's all invisible. We're still human beings. We will always be human beings. We never transcend our humanity. We only transcend sin and death. It is good to be a human being with needs that are met by our Creator. We're not leaving that behind. We're leaving behind sin and death. It will be no more, but we will be physical. We will have needs always existing in time and space with skin and bones and organs and muscles, touchable. Not ghosts, not angels, not cardinals. <sighs> we'll be in God's Sabbath rest. We will enter His rest as physical beings where you will run and not get tired. You will work and no vanity. You will produce good things always. Whereas Lucy says when she enters Aslan's country, I think we've got to a country where everything is permitted. That's where we're going. Everything's permitted. No more eat from every tree but this one. Nope. Nope. That's, that's done. We're not going back. We're going forward. We're going to something greater than Eden. Hear me, greater. Where everything is permitted. I need you to picture it. If you want to get there, you've got to think about it. It's like when you're driving, and you're driving, and you're driving, you just want to get home, and you're thinking about home. Oh, it's like, I want to be there. I just want to be there now. That's how we should think about this. I want to be there. I'm ready. I mean, you got work for me here, Jesus? Cool. I'll stay. I'll do the work. But I'm ready. I want to be there. That is better. That is better. And I think it puts all of the disappointments of our lives in perspective. Because we all have them. We have disappointments. It doesn't erase your disappointments. It doesn't diminish them, but it does consume them. In the end, some of you have family disappointments. Your mom, your dad, your siblings, the relationship is not what you hoped, not what you want. It will be consumed by your heavenly father, your brother Jesus, your helper Holy Spirit, and all your siblings. You will have a family greater and bigger and more wonderful than you can imagine. Some of you have marriage disappointments. Your marriage is not what you hoped, not what you want, not, you, not what you thought it would be. You will have a consuming relationship with Jesus Christ, the groom, the husband, where all your emotional, physical, and spiritual needs and wants are just somehow fully met. 
Some of you have life disappointments. You always wanted to do this but haven't. Always wanted to go there, travel there, but I didn't get it. Never got to take up this instrument. Never learned this skill. Consumed by an eternity of traveling this glorified earth. This earth is going to be renewed. This is where we're going to be, guys. It's going to be glorified. And we could travel. We could see it. We can go anywhere. I don't know how. I mean, I don't think it's going to be like, well, I don't know, Jesus walked through doors, so I don't know what, what's going to happen. Um, but it's going to be great. You're going to be learning symphony, symphonies and writing plays and playing games and having conversations and telling stories, singing with glorified vocal cords. I mean, pretty good today, but it's going to be better. And yes, you're even going to dance. I can't wait to see some of you dance. I would take a lesser crown to see particular people here dance. You guys are like so uncomfortable right now even thinking about that. <laughs> it's going to be great. Bailey and Amanda's wedding was like a foretaste of heaven. Just people out there like, mm -mm. like where did that come from? It's fantastic. You're going to dance. Some of you have had just hard lives. God's providence, just weighty, heavy lives. And you, you, you haven't laughed hardly in, in years. It will be consumed by the lightness and laughter of heaven. It was Luther who said, if you're not allowed to laugh in heaven, I don't want to go there. I'm with you. It's number one. We're going to eat and drink in glory. Number two, lastly, your good works are your RSVP to the party. Your good works are your RSVP. Notice in the text, you have made yourself ready and it was granted to you. Human responsibility, divine sovereignty. To clothe yourself with fine linen, bright and pure, these are your righteous deeds. So, your good works, Christian, are not the ground of your salvation, they are the evidence of your salvation. Your good works are not the ground, the basis for your salvation. They are the evidence, the proof that you have salvation. Very important. God gets all the glory 100% for your good works, but you are truly responsible for them. You chose. You did. Paul says it just succinctly in, in Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Run, grow, bear fruit, endure, fight, battle your sin, serve, love. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. His power, His grace. It's not an either-or scenario. We just say yes. <laughs> we just say yes. These things mysteriously work together where God is the one giving the grace, God is giving the power. He is decisive. Okay? Salvation belongs to the Lord. But you, you dressed yourself in good deeds. You chose. Holiness is decisions. Holiness is decisions. You make them every day. 
What this means is if there is not a love of God and a love of people in your heart, you don't have a place at this table. You are not on the guest list. If you came here and if you participate in Christianity as your loose religious obligation, if you see it as, well, that's just what we do. That's what my family did. Well, you know what? The kids need it. Good for the kids to go to church. Uh, you know what? I feel better. When I go to church once in a while, I'm kind of feeling guilty, feeling, and I just, you know, just I feel better when I go to church. If that's you, you don't have a seat at this table. The good news is that the party hasn't started yet. That Jesus Christ is still welcoming and inviting sinners to repent and believe in him, to look upon the cross and say, he died for me because I am a sinner. Through and through. And I need Jesus. There's time. There's still time. The words that I'm saying right now can save you. Right now. They can save you so that you punch your ticket, you RSVP, to this party, to this wedding. Don't mess around, people. Do not mess around. I I just, you know, like Paul, Acts 20, he goes house to house, he teaches, he preaches, he tells them, and he says, my blood is, your blood is is not on my hands. I'm not responsible because I told you the truth. My job is to tell you the truth. Your job is to decide. And I'm calling you to a decision. Do you want to be here? Do you want to be here? On the right side, humble yourself. Admit you are a sinner and receive Jesus Christ. In a way, it's very simple. And then go. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do good works motivated by his grace because how could I not serve someone so good, someone so wonderful? And and Christians, you know what? Be encouraged. Every prayer, every act of service, every tear moved by grace, these are your righteous deeds. These are your pure garments. This is the proof of your RSVP, that there is fruit in your life. And to give you confidence, Jesus is going to make sure you get there. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's going to happen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your commitment to your people. That, Lord, when we lose our grip on you, when we fail and sin and pierce your side once again, you will make sure that we will arrive without blemish, 
without spot, in splendor and glory, fine linen, bright and pure, on that day, that great day, that not only will we see you face to face, Lord, but we will feast with you, knowing that it is done. And real life begins forever and ever and ever. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Fitting to receive the Lord's Supper today. This is the meal between the meals. This is the meal to sustain you until we get to that great meal. And it is confirmation that Jesus died truly for you. So I think as we're talking about physicality, there's a reason Jesus said, okay, I'm going to take water, I'm going to take bread, take the fruit of the vine. This is going to affirm and confirm the history of my death, the reality of my death. So Christians, we don't believe in a fairy tale, a myth. We believe in real history, and this confirms it. It's physical. You can taste it, touch it, see it, smell it. It's meant to affirm and confirm in your heart, this is real. This is real. Jesus really did die. His body was broken. His blood was spilled for me. So receive it that way. Those who do not know Jesus, those who have not trusted him alone as Savior, we ask that you would not partake, that you would let pass you by. And we invite you to come to the table. There's room. There's room for you. As the men come forward, Luke 22, 14 through 20, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper but anticipating the wedding supper. When the hour came, he reclined at table with the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and we had given thanks. Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your, your great love, leaving behind the joys and the perfection of heaven to come to a fallen, broken world to take on a weak human body where you had needs, where you had to sleep, you had to eat. You humbled yourself, showing us what true greatness is. Lord, grant us faith to believe that it is true, that it is real. You lived, you died, and you rose again. Through the supper now we pray. Amen.
take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood. Nothing but the blood cleanses us of all our sins. The fountain filled with blood flowing from your side. May the cost, Lord, affect us. You purchased our seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is of the Lamb, of the Lamb. And so now encourage us, Lord, to press on, endure, to live by faith until faith becomes sight. In your name, amen.
Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you. Believe you will preserve your body and soul unto everlasting life. Would you please stand? Start our building meeting in 10, 15 minutes. May the grace and peace and love of God be with you. And we all said, Amen. Amen.